where over the last couple of weeks, the Lord has um, been sharing a message I shared two weeks ago, and then Pat Lynn Furrow, when he was here last week, he shared a message. And both messages, uh, Lynn had no clue what I had preached, and so it really is obvious to me that the Lord God is really trying to emphasize something to us as a people. And uh, both messages dealt with pride. You guys remember um, the messages? Hello? I pray to God you're taking these and meditating on them at home. I hope you're listening to them and re-listening to them because even what Lynn said last week, there is a correctional change that God is bringing to the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to be under the correction and the discipline of the Lord. Anybody else? And so, you know, if there's a correctional change that God is wanting to make in our hearts... We, in order to change, you have to first acknowledge that there is a correctional change that he wants to make. You know, it's like the alcoholic that's struggling with alcohol. If he never acknowledges that he needs change, he never deals with his alcoholism or, this, or the things that are causing him to move in that direction. Can I have an amen on that? And so first part of this, as we talk about, I was going to move on to a, a, another area of, of what I felt like the Lord was wanting to share, but all week he kept saying, uh, this is kind of a sila moment. Sila in the Psalms is a pause, and I really felt like the Lord wants us to pause for a moment on this issue of pride. And so I'm going to go there today, but I'm going to actually use our reading plan that we've been reading in the books of, book of Acts, you know, because it's really interesting that as we're talking about revival, the first revival that ever took place was the revival in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And that was the greatest revival ever. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want some, some of that. Anybody want some of that? Yeah. And so I, I thank God what he's doing in Asbury. I thank God what he's doing in our nation and stirring uh, revival in our hearts. And so today as I get into this message, um, if God is wanting to bring a course correction, I have a question for you. How big of an issue do you actually think pride is in your life? Do you think there needs to be a course correction within your own life? What I'm finding in my own heart, you know, I shared a couple weeks ago and it, about how my pride had, had allowed my stronghold to food to stay in place. That literally it was my pride that was keeping me bound. And so God was doing a work of humbling me and breaking some things in my heart, and, and, and we're all that way, pride keeps us bound to our stronghold. It keeps us bound to our problems in our relationships. It keeps us bound in our problems at work. That pride literally is a bigger issue than maybe we think. And there is such deception when it comes with pride because what happens is when you're in pride, you're the last one to know it. You're the last one to figure it out. While everybody's screaming, I wish you would get help. <laughs> You're usually the last one that realizes that there's an issue of pride. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of dive into this issue of pride. I want to talk a little bit about what are some of the symptoms of pride. But really, I want to use the Word of God to begin to expose pride and humility in the lives of the characters within the book of Acts 
to begin to show us some of those symptoms of both pride and humility and what they look like. Because here's what I find is, is we don't even know what pride looks like because it's become so familiar to us. We've been walking in it for so many years, we don't even realize that we are dealing with pride in our lives. And so I'm hoping that I can expose, because today's message really is called the pride test. And I'm even going to give you some uh, things at the end of the message where you can actually go online and you can actually take a test to find out how high your pride is. It's a questionnaire you can take and you may want to take a picture of that a little later. So do you believe you have pride? I want to say my, my opening phrase really I think is important. There is a disease of pride and it's just like cancer. Cancer begins to fester on the inside, and eventually it works out on the outside, and it begins to destroy your life. And the Bible says that pride comes before destruction, before the destruction of relationships, before the destruction of your body. I was destroying my body because of pride, okay? And so th there is a disease called pride, and this disease infects our eyesight. Everybody say, it infects my eyesight. Cancer may affect your colon, it may affect your liver, it may affect whatever, but pride affects your eyesight, what you see. It causes us to view ourselves through the lens that colors and distorts our reality toward our benefit. It distorts your eyes, it distorts what you see through the lens to where everything you do in your life, it distorts it to where, how is it to my benefit? Do you hear me? It skews the story that you make up in your head. It skews the story you make up in your head toward what benefits you, what protects you, what defends you. What makes you right and everybody else wrong? It skews you to make you think about what makes your life better. Can I have a witness? <laughs> now, how do I know if I have this disease of pride? How do I know that it's actually working in my life and maybe destroying my relationships or destroying things in my life? Well, some of the symptoms, I think, I, I'm going to go through these really, really quick, but, but I'm going to kind of cover some of these in the message, because it's all about your ego. It's all about your image. It's all about, about, about you. The, the eyesight of pride is, again, making you see about yourself. And so it's how you project yourself. It's whether you're selfish or not. It's about whether you share your accomplishments or you are a people pleaser or maybe you're into self-protection or needing to be noticed or receive credit for the things you do or maybe you're just a really lousy listener or maybe you don't have any prayer in your life. Prayerlessness is a form of pride. Being sarcastic, being critical of others, talking about others, dwelling on the past. You like control. Maybe you do most of the talking in every relationship, and you're the one, rah, 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 and everybody else is listening. 
Maybe it's low self-esteem. You don't think that's pride, but it is. Insecurity, low self-esteem, inferiority, inadequacy, conflict in my relationships, fear, being ungrateful, rejection, lying to control people's opinion of you. Lying to control people's opinion of you. Hiding the bad part of you so that you control the opinion of others is all about pride. And so, I realize that some of our pride can actually be rooted in trauma. I realize that many of us have went through many things in our lives and bad circumstances and trauma that causes us to be self-protective, that, that makes us work in rejection, that makes us make it about us because it wasn't about us when we were young. Anybody been there before? And so I don't want to... I don't want to make this thing a thing where I guilt you today on your pride. I realize that pride comes in many different shapes, forms, and sizes. And matter of fact, there's areas in my life where I don't have pride in maybe a certain area, but I have it in other areas because of the woundings and the things that have taken place in my past. So this is all about us gaining freedom and deliverance and bringing light to the dark places of our heart because God does want a move of his spirit. God does want revival, and he does want us affecting this city for the glory of God. Can I please have an amen? And he always uses people like us to do that. And so those are some of the symptoms of pride. And, I, and, and, and so... What I want to do today is I, I want to go into the book of Acts, and I want to begin to use the book of Acts to find our pride and to find the way pride was working or humility was working, and begin to expose some of these things, because I, I even as I was preparing this message, I realized I've seen myself in some of these passages. And so if, you're, if you have your Bibles with, me, with you today, we're going to, we're, I'm behind what our reading plan is. I'm, I'm preaching way back, so I'm going back to Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, and we're going to begin to look at these individuals and this storyline in the book of Acts chapter 7 first, and we're going to move from there. And I want to kind of set the context of, 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 of Acts chapter 7 before we get, turn to it. Stephen is getting ready to get stoned to death after he has defended himself in um, his faith. They have accused Stephen. Now, I, uh, briefly, Stephen is one of the seven deacons that were set up. It was set up in chapter 6 of Acts for the food distribution, okay? And so he was not an apostle. He was not one of the head cheeses. He was a, he was a guy that was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and he was just people just like you. And he was called out of the congregation because the, the apostles wanted to concentrate on prayer and the word. And so Stephen was chosen as one of seven. And so we, here we have this Stephen, and I'm going to call him our food pantry, food di distribution manager. Okay? And he's on the scene, and now what he's done is the Holy Spirit's come upon him, and the church is growing, people are getting saved, revival is happening, God is moving in the city, and people are coming to know Jesus by the thousands, just like they're going to do in Asbury, and just like they're going to do in Newcastle. Amen. And Stephen then gets to begin, he begins to move in miracles, and he's declaring God's goodness, and they start lying about him. 
and they start telling him, telling the, everybody that he is actually teaching against Judaism and the, the law and the law of Moses and that he's a heretic and they begin to bring false witness before him. And so Stephen does this powerful, uh, it's really not a sermon, it's really a dissertation of, 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 of the faith of Judaism from, from Moses and Abraham all the way down through the centuries and he gives this great explanation where he's proven himself that he is not against Judaism, that he is a believer in the law. And he, he gives and he defends himself. And, and, and then he says in that, at the end of that sermon, he says, but you know what, guys? You are just like your ancestors. You did not believe the prophets. Your, the, your ancestors didn't believe the prophets, and neither do you. You keep resisting the Holy Spirit. And then we come up with this passage in Acts 7 as he begins to give them this stern rebuke. And he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Man, when the move of God comes, I do not want to resist the Holy Spirit. In revival, guys, I'm telling you, it gets weird. I don't always understand the shakes, the bakes, and all that kind of stuff. That may not happen this time, because I tell you what, every revival has manifested a different way. And if you want to put your pride on that, and you make God be the revival that you want God to be, you will be in pride, and you will make it manifest the way you want to make it manifest. You will touch the glory of God, and you will ruin the revival. Because God may not want to manifest in signs, wonders, and miracles. He may, he may manifest in a different way. He may lay us all out prostrate with repentance and, and godly sorrow. And we come through here like a bunch of blabbering crybabies. He may manifest differently than he did in Azuzu. He may manifest himself different than he did in the book of Acts. He will manifest how he wants to manifest. And we will not carve it out. We will not make it happen a certain way. Just because we have these thoughts. Because we don't want pride in the way when revival comes. If pride is in the way when revival comes, you will make it be what you want it to be. And because you experienced God this way one time, you'll go experience God that way. And it may not be. You may cluck like a chicken. <laughs> Joking. Chickens go to the barn house. So we don't want to resist the spirit of God. And we won't do that if we're not in pride. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were what? Furious and gnashed their teeth. Look at the anger and the physical manifestation of pride. That's what gnashing of teeth looks like. Some of you look like that when you get in an argument with your wife or your husband. The manifestation of pride. One manifestation of pride is anger and rage. Anybody ever smoked that pipe? Has anybody had any anger in this house? Oh, it's a righteous anger, Eric. <laughs> Glory be to God. It was a righteous anger. Because it was right. 
Anger is a symptom of pride. How often do you get angry? How do you respond when someone disagrees with you? Stephen was disagreeing with the Sanhedrin. He was disagreeing with them, and man, they manifested loco cuckoo when it came to this situation. How are you when people come to you or disagree with you or maybe even having a different opinion on how something should be done? Does your anger rise up? In this situation, it rose up. Are you confrontable? Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Or do you shut down people and become angry? Well, that's what was happening in the manifestation of this in this situation. And these Pharisees became defensive. They became self-protective. And they began to blame shift is what they did. And those are all manifestations of a spirit of pride. This issue of defensiveness, being self-protective, I know when somebody comes to me and disagrees with me, my pride, the first thing that, that wants to rise its ugly head up is to be self-defensive. Anybody else? And that is a sign that I'm cooperating with what? Pride. All of us do this. And God's beginning to do a work in correcting our hearts. Now let's look and see how, how much worse it gets in this situation. That this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, there's three things here that also is a manifestation of pride. They covered their ears, yelling at the top of their lungs, and punishment. Covering your ears, not listening to people, is a sign of pride. Hello, church, are you there? Refusing to listen is pride. Refusing to listen to your spouse when she's frustrated by the way you're spending money or he, he's spending money, and you, and they refuse to listen to you or you refuse to listen to them. Money's a big one because 80% of divorces usually are tied to money and how money is spent. But how many times in our relationships with spouses or our relationships with friends, there comes a difference of opinion and we refuse to listen to what they're saying. Pride is in the way and you're wanting them to hear you instead of you hear them. Anybody been there? Oh boy, this is going really good. <laughs> Getting really quiet, David. So how good are you at really listening to people? How good are you at listening to people, hearing their perspective? Or is there this thing behind where you're already tracking in your mind on the next thing you want to say, they're rump, 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 but you're already got your fortified plan and you've got, yeah, but you, you think that, but I'm going to, I got to tell you this and I got to tell you this because this is what really is happening and you just don't know. How many have been there? Okay. I'm glad to know I'm teaching the wrong group, that there's others out there that have it. No, I'm just kidding. So, not listening. Do you cover your ears? That's pride. The other thing was yelling at the top of, your, of their lungs. When we're yelling, 
we're actually manipulating and controlling in order to get our way. I tell you what, when God began to deal with my anger years ago, maybe 18 months ago, um, <laughs> Karen can test, it's been a lot longer than that. I, the passage, and I didn't go there, but if the passage says, you know why there's fights and quarrels among you? Is it not because you desire something and you don't get your way? It's because we don't get our way. Anger and, and, and these, these yelling is our attempt to get our way. And how many of you do that? Manipulating and controlling with your anger in order to, what they were trying to do is they were trying to stop Stephen. They were getting, they were yelling and screaming, trying to stop Stephen. And they were trying to stop the, the, the religion that was taking place. They were trying to stop the move because thousands were coming to know Jesus. And these guys were trying to protect their turf. Because they were losing influence, because now we're up to around six to 9,000 people in the city of Jerusalem, which is a huge percentage of Jerusalem, are now converted Christians. And the, the Jews, the Pharisees, they were losing ground, and they wanted to self-protect. Their pride was in full-blown. They wanted to protect their turf. And so well, sometimes we want to protect our turf. We want to protect what we want. And so we began to yell. And I've seen Christians look like fools when it comes to yelling in their homes, yelling at work, yelling at basketball games, yelling in public, yell, yelling at a, 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 what's that called, uh, the driving when somebody drives by you? Road, Road rage. Thank you. Thank you. Couldn't pull that up. And so again, yelling top of the lungs, anger, these are two manifestations of pride. And then the third one is punishment. And I really wanted to spend a little bit of time here because I think what we do, number one, if you're being punished and being hurt physically in your relationship like Stephen just said, or just like Stephen just went through, get out of the relationship. Humility is not staying in, in abuse. Can I have an amen on that? Get help. Get away from the, the punishment and get away from being hurt physically so that you can get help for your relationship. So I'm not promoting that. But what we don't, what we, what we, what's that duck? What, what, what we do, Sam, Sam, I'm not talking to you. Here's where I think what we do as Christians is we do emotional punishment, which is pride. We withdraw. We, we ghost people. Or we put something on Facebook that's not directly to the person, but the person, when they see the post, they go, mm, that was for me. When you're angry and you withdraw your love, that is pride. When you're angry and you leave the relationship, that's pride. When you're angry and you do the silent treatment and you don't speak and you roll your eyes and you avoid people and you sleep in another room and you threaten divorce and you do all these kind of things, that is pride on steroids. God prophesied uh, the first of the year, Sam gave me a prophetic word, uh, gave Tom and I these, this list of prophetic words. And, he, and in the prophetic word, it was there were going to be two marriages that were saved uh, this year that was this close to divorce. And I was like, we claim that in the name of Jesus. 
But, there, but when, when, when you're at a place of wanting divorce, you are both so full of pride in your way, and you've got to go back to humility and brokenness, or you will ne- never reconcile the relationship. But it's a sign that you're in pride. All this pride because of punishing the other person until you get your way is really what it is. So we got not listening, um, yelling, we got punishment. Those are three manifestations of pride. Let's look at another one. I want to keep moving because we still have something to do at the end. While they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here is a great, great passage on humility. I want you to look at the humility of Stephen, and I want to begin to put us in this storyline. What would you have done if you would have been getting stoned and threatened like Stephen? Would you have walked the walk of humility that Stephen walks here? Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, if pride would have been in his life, Stephen would have said things like this, Lord, deliver me. Father, give thee your angels charge over me and deliver me from my oppressors. Sound like any of your prayers? Now, I'm not saying we don't war with the word of God and that God doesn't protect us. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes our prayers are about our self-protection and God delivering us rather than, look what Stephen did, Lord, I am yours. It's about what you want. He wasn't trying to preserve his life. He wasn't trying to protect himself. He was willing to go. Heaven opened up. He saw Jesus standing before the Father. And what does he say in humility? Father, forgive them for they don't hold this sin against them. Well, here's what God says pride does. Pride doesn't want to forgive people quickly, but humility forgives people. Stephen already forgave them, and they were in the process of stoning him. What would you have done? Oh, God, help me. I'm moving to Canada so I don't get this persecution. I'm going to get out of Dodge. (laughs) How would you have reacted? Don't let these evil men kill me. Don't let these evil men win. win. Would it have been self-preservation at all costs? Stephen was not saving his life, but Stephen was giving his life. Pride saves its life. Humility gives its life. Pride does not forgive, humility is quick to forgive. Pride holds grudges and is mean and is harsh. Forgiveness, humility brings forgiveness and compassion. Where are you walking in those situations? So, I'll keep moving for the sake of time. Man, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Because I don't know about you, but I've done all of those things. Anybody else self-protected? Yep. 
Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of their killing him. And Saul approved. Now, Saul will, in a few chapters later, become Paul. Because this little pride ball gets knocked off his horse and is blind for three days. But here's another manifestation of Paul and pride. Now, I want to remind you, he is a Pharisee. He is one of the 70 who is on the Sanhedrin. He is one who has approved the death of Jesus, and he is now consenting to the death of Stephen. And here's where I want to to say to you. Pride, when you're walking in pride, you think you're right. When you're walking in pride, you actually think what you're doing is right. Remember I said, it's a disease. It affects your eyesight. Saul was convinced he was doing right. He was convinced he was doing God a favor. But what does the law of Moses say? Thou shalt not murder. You shall not kill. So they were literally disobeying the very law that they said they were upholding. And pride makes you think that you're doing right. I cannot tell you. People think that when we're walking in pride, our opinion and our feelings dictate what we do more than what God's word says to do. When we're walking in pride, I've seen this over and over in 25 years of marriage. People will, will, will date and marry an unbeliever over and over and justify it because of their feelings and their emotions and their opinion. And the word of God says, do not have, do not do that. The word of God says, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. But in their pride, they will do it over and over and over again and totally discount what the word of God says. That's pride. That I put my feelings, my opinion, and me being right over what God's word says. And the body of Christ does it all the time in certain areas where ah, it's okay because I feel, I feel peace about it. Well, maybe what you're feeling is not your peace, but your pride. It's the other P word. P- 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 pride. Pride says everyone's an idiot and stupid. Correct. There's a difference between pride and arrogance. And so when we're talking here, I'm not talking that you believe you're just all that in a bag of tricks. Pride is when you're consumed with self, your thoughts. Pardon? Well, that's, that's confidence. It's not pride. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I agree with you that there's a difference between confidence in God and there's a difference between when we're focused on ourselves. And I'm talking about when we're consumed with our thoughts, our ways, and what we want. Okay, you guys got that? I'm not talking about being confident in what God has told us to do. I'm not talking about it when we're confident and, and, and there is a confidence that he wants us to walk in. Can I have an amen on that? Amen. So I'm talking about when we're focused on self is what I'm talking here. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you. So 
Pride keeps us from seeing when you could be wrong. Pride puts your feelings and opinions over the word of God. Let's go to Acts 8, 1 through 3. As, as we go through this passage, there's even more that God begins to show in this. And on that day, after Stephen is, is uh, he's, uh, stoned, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Can you imagine being dragged off into prison? It's like, uh, okay, we're going to say Sam today is our food distribution guy, and he's distributing food, and he goes out and preaches, gets, gets, and they're wanting to kill him. What would you do? What would you do if they started going house to house because this church, revival's breaking out, God's doing amazing things, and we get, start getting persecuted? What would you do? Would you run and hide, fight? Would your trauma response be fight, flight, or freeze? Would you go how to hide? You know, Karen and I will go to our cabin up in Canada. We'll go hide out there. But look at the response to what these guys did. I'm going to jump down to their response. Those who had been scattered in 8.4, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Isn't that powerful? It wasn't about self-preservation. It wasn't about protecting himself. We're talking about everyone. Everybody scattered but the apostles. So we're talking about all the people of God, all the disciples. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But everybody else, they scattered to, Jeru to Judea. They went to Samaria. And here we have this situation. And that word scatter means to sow seed. The seed of God's word was going out throughout the whole region. And so humility was showing up in these disciples because they were actually taking the word of God out from where they were in Jerusalem and they were taking the seed and they were going out throughout the community. And so humility is this thing where it, may, it compels you not to protect yourself because if you would have allowed pride and fear to be controlling you at that situation, you would have hunkered down. You would have found a place to hide. Is that not true? But I love what the disciples did. They took off and they began to preach the word of God Everywhere they weren't, went, they weren't in hiding. Everyone they, everywhere they went, they preached. And then it goes here. And then where did Philip go? Do you remember who Philip is? I'm trying to speed this up. Philip was the other one of the seven who was a table waiter back in, uh, in Acts. And he was also appointed. So now Philip is now, Stephen's been the other guy, one of the seven. He's been killed. Now Philip, one of the other seven, now he's going to Samaria to preach the gospel. He's going to go down there and begins to preach the gospel. But now we have two of the seven gone. Who's doing the food distribution in Jerusalem? Ever thought about that? These two are gone. They were, they were in charge of the Jerusalem church to distribute food. I guess they left the other five, right? But Philip gets this unction from the Spirit of God to go to Samaria. And what's he say? He went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of them. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. How many want great joy in the city of Newcastle, Anderson, and Muncie? I want it. Man, I'm running out of time. Praise the Lord. Humil er, pride keeps us from obeying this command. Pride keeps us from obeying the command of going to all the world and preach the gospel. Do you realize that? And here's what I mean by that. 
the reason we don't go preach the gospel and we go out into this city and do it is because we're too insecure, afraid, and worried about what people think. I'm too worried about getting rejected. I, I don't feel adequate to, I don't, I don't feel like I know enough. Anybody been there? Do you realize that all that is self-focused? That's all pride. My insecurity, my inferiority, my inadequacy, all those are self-focused. But who makes us adequate? It's just the testimony of Jesus that's inside of us. All we got to do is tell people, hey, Jesus loves you, and he's coming for you. He's, he's going to set this city on fire for him. He, you need him. You're into this bondage. You're into this struggle. God wants to help you. And you can, all you got to do is share your testimony. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Hello. I, I was blind, but now I what? It's, I don't have to have the, mem the Bible memorized to be able to share the gospel. I can just share my testimony when I'm out on the street and say, man, I can see you're struggling. Would you like some help? God helps me. Would you want some help? God said prophetically through Lynn Furrow last week that God was going to increase our burden for the lost in this community. You guys hear that last week? The sinners are crying out for help, and God wants to position you in these people's lives as deliverers and rescuers. God wants to change your travel plans, like Philip, who changed his travel plans and went to Samaria. God changed Philip's, tra he, he changed Philip's travel plans again, and he sent him to the road to Damascus and down through the desert road. And he met an Ethiopian in this chapter. And the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah the prophet. And, and he says, do you know what you're reading? And how can I read, the, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody tells me? That's what a sinner is going to tell you. I don't understand the word. How can I understand the word unless somebody tells me? God says, I want your house. Lynn said that last week. I want your house. Boy, did that ever convict me. I want your houses to be houses of refuge for sinners and people in need. Pride protects our home. Pride protects our carpet. It's like the, what we just saw on the trailer. The old church people were so worried about the stains on the carpet from the hippies. And we're worried about getting bed bugs, or we're worried about getting this, or we're worried about getting that. And we're worried about what damage might be done to our home if we open up our home, and why, by golly, I might have to replace my sofa if I'm having something in my house once a week. I, dear God, and I know I've shared, I've shared this and I, and, and about my son in, Fort no in Knoxville. It's like they open their house all the time. You know, in my mind, my pride was saying probably too much. Oh, my gosh, forgive me, Jesus. Opening their home constantly. They had a meal over there yesterday. And again, inviting their neighbors. And, and it's like they've had people spend the night with them. And they've helped people off the streets. And it's like, oh God, forgive me for my pride. Anybody else with me? Pride protects our homes. But humility says my home is dedicated to the Lord and for his purpose. And my question is, is when, the last, when was the last time you had somebody in your home? Even for dinner, people in the church. When's the last time you've had somebody over for, at, at, to your house for dinner? When's the last time you've, you've uh, had maybe one of your neighbors over? Our homes really are not dedicated to the Lord. And Lynn said that, 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 that sinners are going to come by the thousand, and they're going to be running to the church for help. 
And my question is, is can sinners, can they run to your home? Can they run to your house? Pride will not let you let them run to your house. Humility. Will they be able to run to your house or will you call Pastor Eric and say, hey, I've got somebody down here on 15th Street that needs the church to help them. And I get that all the time. And who is supposed to be helping them? The one that's on the phone. I had a situation years ago where there was a guy drunk and they thought they were dead. He was dead in a car and they were, they were out at this home showing a home. This was years ago and they were showing the home. They go, Eric... I don't know what to do. There's somebody in this car, and I think, I don't know if they're dead. And Will you come out here and take care of this? And it's like, no, you are the church. You are the church. I'm not the church. The institution of New Covenant Worship Center is not who's going to reach the lost. It's not the institution. It's the people who are going to reach the lost. And so many times people send people to me to help them. But you've got to be the what is helping them. You've got to be the resource and saying, gosh, I don't know what to do. I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah. And you don't think I am too? I've been put in some really hairy situations. I remember going and getting a gun off a guy in the bamboo inn at 3 o'clock in the morning. Drunk as a skunk. All kinds of stuff going in there. Like, mm, okay. And he was going to kill himself. But you guys, he has called some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. Are your homes open for ministry? Or is there a no trespassing sign? Wants to change our, he wants to change our burden for the lost in this city. Is your home open for God to use to help others? Are your weekends available for God to change your precious plans and to put you in position for a caravan coming your direction so that God can position sinners in your path so that you can help a sinner come to know Christ. And because of our pride, we don't even notice the person in Walmart. We don't even notice all these sinners who are coming by our our path because we're all so consumed with our own houses, our own pleasures, our own desires, and really, to be honest with you, our own pride. And that is a course correction that Lynn was talking about last week, that God is trying to bring a course correction to the Big C Church because the Big C Church and New Covenant, we are in that that mix where we are not about other people. Some people are, but some people aren't. And God wants to position us right in place to help people, but we must get rid of our pride. And so this message has been called the pride test. Has your pride been challenged today? Hope I've stepped on it a little bit. Because I want you to know over the last two weeks, mine has been being stepped on terribly. Because your pastor has been in pride, and I'm sorry. And I've been confessing my sin of pride all week and humbling myself. And this is the answer in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Let us pray. We allow God to deal with you right now, with your pride. Let him highlight what he's dealing with you on. As I get ready to pray, I want to remind us of the scripture out of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, then I will hear then I will hear them and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Pride is in our way, but there is a call to change. There is a call for a correctional change in our hearts. Tom Acuff several weeks ago shared the change that God is doing in him. I've shared the change and the pride where I was in pride concerning food. And now God's dealing with my heart on that I don't have a burden for the lost. And he's convicting me. And he's asking me, will my home be open for the lost? Will my, will my plans be, will I be willing to divert my plans like Philip did? to allow sinners to come into contact with me so that I can be a source of rescue and deliverance for the captives. Father, I ask in the powerful name of Jesus this morning to God that you would forgive us as a people. I realize as an institution called New Covenant, we are only made up of individuals, but God, each of us, there have been areas of our life where we've been walking in pride and self-centeredness and our ego and our image has been what has controlled us. We have been focused on ourselves rather than you and your kingdom. God, I ask in the glorious name of Jesus. I know I don't have to ask you to forgive me. You have already forgiven us. But Father, we confess this sin before you today. We confess, God, that we have been walking in pride. We confess, God, that, that our eyes have been filled with cancer and it has distorted our vision and what we see. And I thank you, God, that you are bringing a course correction and you're bringing freedom and deliverance to us. And so, God, we confess it, we turn from it, and we turn to humility. We turn, repentance means to turn. So, God, we're turning from the pride, and we're going to be facing humility, God. This scripture, do nothing out of selfish ambition but, uh, or vain conceit, but rather in humility. We're going to value others above ourselves. We're going to put the kingdom of God before ourselves. We're going to put the kingdom of heaven and what you're wanting to do in this region before us. We're going to change, God, what we are doing. We are going to focus on you and your ways. And so God, we surrender these things to you and we ask God that you would bring deliverance and freedom. That God, even over this next week as we get into the word, that God, you would begin to, to deal with our hearts in private. That you would begin to help us to meditate on these words about pride and find the areas where we're struggling so that we can present them to you, God. 
So, Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you it's going to be a quick work. I thank you for the revival that's going to come out of it. I thank you, God, for the deep repentance. I thank you for the deep uh, confession of sin and God turning from our wicked ways. I thank you, God, that it's going to happen. And I thank you, God, that you are working on our hearts. And we give it and we surrender it to you in Jesus' mighty name. And if you're in agreement with me, will you please say amen? Amen. amen.